Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to my newsletter yet, head on over to my website, dramyrobbins.com, and you can subscribe there. And each week I send out little tidbits of information that you can use in your everyday life. Also, if you haven't subscribed to my podcast, go to anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. You can also follow me on Instagram at dramyrobbins.com. I'm also on Facebook, although not as active on Facebook. So if you don't hear from me, come on over to Instagram and follow me there. So I am so excited for my conversation today with Carol J. Obley. Carol is the author of Embracing the Ties That Bind, I'm Still With You, and Soul to Soul Connections. She has communicated with souls who have crossed into the spirit world through thousands of private and group sessions. She has earned a reputation in her geographical area as the real deal among mediums. She travels nationally to speak and teach at workshops, as well as maintaining a practice in mediumship based near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Her newest book, Wisdom from the Spirit World, Life, Teachings on Love, Forgiveness, Purpose, and Finding Peace is out now. And I can tell you it is a wonderful book and I highly recommend it. So I'm so excited to welcome you, Carol, to the show today. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. So I want to start with where we start as a soul, which is with soul agreements. Can you introduce us to that concept and talk a little bit about what a soul agreement is and how a soul agreement works? Well, soul agreements are uh, lessons that or connections that are made between uh, two souls, uh, two or more souls. Uh, there, There could actually be more than two. And it's for purposes of spiritual evolution for both of those parties or however many souls are involved. Um, And sometimes they're happy and sometimes they're not so happy. But there is always an agreement. uh, It's a two-way street between uh, the, the souls involved. And the core of it, the reason for it is for spiritual growth on both parties' behalf. And we negotiate this before we come into a physical body, correct? Yes, thank you for saying that, yes. I spend, um, in the first section of this book, I spend a good bit of time, there's a whole chapter dedicated to these things called the Akashic Files. They're also called the Akashic Records. And what they are is um, energetic um records or vaults, you know, so to speak, of information that each soul has and collective humanity has as well. And they contain all of our blueprints. In my other books, I write about blueprints, and those are plans or designs for living that we make before we come here. Uh, The Akashic Files contain those. They also contain every thought, every action, Uh, that we've taken since the beginning of time. And they also include these things called soul agreements. And so I I refer to them sort of as uh, codes 
um, that at the right time and the right place, those two souls will come together. And that's always in divine timing. And through that association, there's an exchange of energy that takes place. And the element of free will, which every human being has, um, is incorporated into that. Um, we can decide how we're going to handle that agreement and what we need to see about ourselves in the reflection of that other individual or individuals. So relationships are always mirrors in which we're, we're seeing a reflection of some aspect of self. And hopefully we can use that to grow and evolve past any suffering or any uh, um, you know, challenges that would be inherent in that uh, connection. So can we, can we break down this concept of Akashic Records? Because I really want, I've heard this, I've read about it, I really want to try to understand more deeply. Conceptually, like how do we take it from sort of this abstract level to, to what, it, what it looks like? Like when you're reading someone, what do you see when you're looking th- at their Akashic records or at the, you know, when someone does an Akashic records reading, what does that mean exactly? Yes, and I, I do do Akashic record reading. Many, many years ago, uh, over 25 years ago, when I first started doing readings, I would start. I was starting to see these scenes through clairvoyance, which is seeing through our um, this energy center on, mm. on the brow. It's called the third eye, or the brow chakra, or energy center. And I started seeing these scenes, and I would at first I was kind of uh, cautious about relating that to the sitter or the receiver of the reading. And as I gained a little bit more confidence, I, I started to share it, and I would say, you know. I'm seeing this or I'm seeing that. Sometimes it was, oftentimes it was in, a, um, you know, in another culture. And there was also feelings or uh, themes, if you will, that would be impressed upon me through clairsentience or claircognizance, which is a knowing uh, clairsentience being feeling. And I would relate that to the sitter. And nine times out of 10, they would say, Gee, that's funny. And whenever I hear somebody say, start their sentence or their response by saying, that's funny, I know that it's dead on as far as the information. I've always been drawn to that culture. I've always felt I've had that challenge. Um, No matter what I do, you know, I have this theme that runs throughout my life. Why do I have issues with money? Why do I have issues in relationships? So I started seeing these scenes And I never asked for that. I always believed in reincarnation. But this was a direct experience of it um, when I was sitting with people. And from that time, many years ago, my ability to tap into um, the Akashic record of each individual, if that's what they want in a reading. There's Mm -hmm. there's people who are interested in that. Um, But my ability has been honed to even a deeper level to be able to see that sort of information. A good analogy is if you think of a giant tape recorder with an endless loop, uh, always on, always recording, 
That's what the Akashic file is like. And there is um, karmic material, meaning karma simply means um, unfinished energy. It can be positive, it can be negative, it can be neutral. Sometimes I think people, um, they mistakenly think that karma is all negative, and it's not. We can have very positive karma as well. It really depends on the personal responsibility of the soul, what the soul has built uh, in previous incarnations and continues to build uh, currently. Uh, We're always adding to these records. You and I sitting here right now talking are adding to our record. So every single thing that we produce because we're energetic beings uh, is recorded in those ethers. Edgar Cayce, the famous American mm-hmm. psychic, uh, who did his readings in the 20s and 30s, 1940s, 1930s, he called it uh, the book of life. And he said each soul has uh, this book of life. And he would access the file to give medical readings, to give psychological type of readings, and uh, to talk about karma with that person, why they might have a physical ailment, why they have problems in relationships, or whatever it might be. So Casey was actually, he he would enter into the file to obtain that information for healing for people. So how how does the Akashic Files differ from past lives or our our past lives are recorded in the akashic files and so the akashic records are a recording of sort of those karmic lessons that we need to keep working on is that yes that's correct that's exactly okay. right and you know we we can balance if you think of a scale the image of a scale and i actually used in wisdom from the spirit world to illustrate some of the points to help people um, really grasp the idea of some, you know, sometimes metaphysical information can get sort of complex or obscure. Mm -hmm. All of my books are simply written to help readers really understand the energies within themselves. Um, And so if you think of the scales, um, you know, we can have an evenly balanced scale that's perfectly, you know, symmetrical or perfectly balanced, or we can have one that's weighing down, you know, we're we're giving too much, we're receiving too much, we're too self-centered. There could be many things, you know, that we are personally responsible for in keeping our own scales balanced. And when we go back into the spirit world upon death, we ourselves make assessment of that. So there really is not, you know, the, the old man in the sky with the, with the beard and the staff who's judging us. We do that for ourselves. And so one of the things we take appraisal of is that scale and being able to um, look at it and see, okay, I did pretty well with these lessons that I had set up or, you know, I look and I go, well, I didn't do so well there. I made some poor choices. And there's even a section in the book I, I call the soul's report card. Mm-hmm. And You're preempting all my questions here. You're answering all of them. 
That usually happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm so used to being in attunement with a person, you know, even I, I do an enormous amount of telephone reading. So even over the airways, because it's, you know, it's energy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's happening, but um, I get the I get the impression you're pretty intuitive yourself. So <laughs> you probably right. have people tell you that. Yeah, yeah. So you were saying, oh my god, I'm like so excited right now. So you were saying the Souls Report card. Go on. Oh well, yes. It's just that um, when when we pass over, and some of your listeners have probably heard that we get the life review. Mm-hmm. We, we review our life, and it happens in a matter of an equivalent of seconds. There's no time in the spirit world, so everything is right now. And that's why I'm such an advocate of mindful meditation, because it pulls you into the now, and that's where you always meet spirit, as well as your higher self and your soul, um, you know, the communication from your own soul. And the, the soul's report card is just, we lived a lifetime. It could have been, you know, 20 years. It could have been 100 years. And we, we gauge um, our growth, our evolution, and see, oh, okay, I think I did pretty well with that. And we, we kind of make an assessment. And I, I used it just because it's something that everybody knows, a report card, you know, mm-hmm. with the school. Um, and, and so it's really nobody outside of ourselves judging us. It, it's ourself uh, that's doing that. And then from that point... Um, what I've seen through my work, through thousands of readings, is that we make assessment and determination then um, as to what we're going to do and continue on in the spirit world. Growth never ceases. It never stops. We're constantly evolving. We're constantly uh, growing. So in order to, I'm, I'm always kind of trying to understand the concepts from the spiritual perspective, but also thinking about the clinical work I do therapeutically and how they align. And it seems to me like when you're talking about sort of Akashic files or karmic records, that the way these show up in our, in our physical human life is typically through repeating patterns, right? Like relationship patterns or, I think relationship patterns is probably the simplest, right? So it's not like if we were born into um, a family where, uh, let's just say, the father is not present and you go on and you are become part of a relationship where your partner isn't present, then you would say that that is part of your Akashic Records file, that you are trying to work through this karma, maybe around your relationship with partners, and that you can change your record. You can, you can, it doesn't have to be your fate, so to say, that this is what's going to happen is you will always have partners who leave you. Uh, You can, you have the free will to change that and in some way rewrite the Akashic record. Is that yes accurate? Yes. And, and and interestingly, you you brought up. Um, I address some of those issues in the there in the chapter. And there's ten lessons that that the spirit world has communicated that I've observed as a conduit. Um, one of those is our wounds do not diminish the light within. 
So our wounds are our challenges in life. And say the example that you gave, um, I write a lot about abandonment. Um, there's people, you know, that I've read for who uh, father wasn't present for them, maybe mother wasn't present for them. Um, and so this theme plays out karmically. Now, we always have the ability to choose. And that's another lesson. The power of choice determines the quality of our life. And that is something that the spirit world has made very clear through multiple sessions. So if we choose to rise above, um, and that's exactly why we chose that lesson to begin with, um, you know, say, for example, abandonment, am I going to continue to play that out? Or am I going to interrupt that pattern that's come down my family, perhaps even beyond parental? It could, it could have gone back into grandparents. Um, another example of that is addiction. Uh, I have read for so many people that, um, you know, alcoholism, for example, runs in the family. And there's certain, there's clusters of uh, characteristics that uh, come in with something like an addiction. Now, it can either play out that the person themselves, um, you know, pursues addiction, becomes addicted to, to one thing or another, or they can also become very, um, I hate to use these psychological buzzwords, but sort of codependent. I know mm -hmm. that's been very overused, um, but sort of, you know, not having good boundaries, um, not, not um, really asserting themselves, building their life around somebody else. Uh, that sort of thing. And that can be for both male and female. So these patterns are something that we've come in to hopefully heal, not only within ourself, but also with the family line, the ancestral line. And I will tell you that energetically, just because somebody's in the spirit world does not mean that we're not connected to them anymore because if they're an ancestor, um, that is a that is a connection. Even if we didn't know them here, I have many people that say, "Well, you know, that's my grandmother, but I didn't know her. Why would she be coming through in a reading?" Well, there's something she wants to communicate to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's always a reason why who shows up in a reading shows up. So with these patterns, um, they are they are chosen. They are known to the soul, not on, a, not on a rational level, but on a soul level. They are known to the soul and they're purposely put in place for purposes of surmounting that, um, that challenge. And so the soul can continue to grow. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, I always say what people, the most common question that people ask me in readings uh, in, over the years has been, what is my purpose? Hmm. What is my purpose? And many times when people ask that, they're, they're referring to a job or a career. Mm -hmm. And that's one aspect of purpose. But really, spiritual purpose is your unique expression of the divine energy within you. Whatever it's that might be, whatever, whatever form that takes. And well, and it's so interesting that you're bringing this up because I, 
I do, I just sit in automatic writing for my newsletter and just see what comes. And typically it's like one specific word and then an expansion on that. And this morning before we spoke, I sat and what came to me was essence, that the essence of our soul or the essence of who we are gets expressed through our personality and our purpose. So how are we expressing our soul qualities the essence, you know, how are we expressing the essence of who we are? Seems to me the soul and that the personality is sort of the action on that. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. And um, there is the the chapter uh, um, in the third section, merging your personality with your soul. The the personality is the unique um, individual um, emanation. And it is, it is coming from the ego. And by the way, I don't demonize the ego. I think in a lot of new age uh, writings and teachings, the ego has been very demonized. It is not negative. It is very necessary to have an ego to navigate here in the physical world. Um, however, the soul is, is always superseding um, the voice of the ego and it wants to collaborate with the personality to offer a contribution of service to the world. And that is how powerful each individual is. And nobody is you, nobody is me, nobody, everyone has their own unique uh, history and uh, their own unique quirks and skills and talents and challenges. So, If we can get a hold of that and merge that with this higher calling of our soul, that's when we can become very um, worthy, very, very powerful in the outside world. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that one isn't if, if you don't do that, but I think it's important to know that you have to find what can I do that, you know, maybe I, even if it's a slight difference, than anybody else can do. What what do I have to offer? I think sometimes people think that they have to be someone really important or influential, uh, you know, to really make a difference. And that's not the case at all. And all of my books, I really want people to understand that the power is within them, the power to heal, the power to overcome suffering, the power to offer you unique skill and service. Uh, to the world, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Well, and you say you, what? It, where is my notes here? You say um, you have to, where is that? You have to go, you have to go to find a way out of difficulty. We must go in to access the soul awareness. And I think so often people look outside of themselves, right? Like you said, people come to you, they want to know what their soul purpose is. And we have the answers within us. Exactly right. And that's why I'm so ethical in my practice of mediumship, where people go, well, you know, I want to know this. And boom, it, it, they, they want a set answer. Because I also do a lot of life guidance sorts of readings, too. In addition to, I, I'm very skilled with evidential mediumship. Um, but I also do a lot of um, life guidance sorts of readings. And... There are many times, I mean, being highly ethical, I tell people, you know, I'm not being given that answer because 
the part of the answer is your journey. You, you, you walking through that to discover that for yourself. Um, and, and anyone who is ethical working in my field should not be giving direct answers like that. I think that, that can turn into a power trip on the behalf of the, the conduit. Uh, and one should really never do that. Um, I mean, I can read energy very well and give direction. But to actually tell people what to do, that, that is the journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you find like that often people are coming to you because it seems like an easier path than? Oh, yes. <laughs> I've had to discourage people. I've had to tell people I can't read for you. If you, you know, anyone who is ethical, who's working in this field of mediumship or psychism, um, really should adhere to a high code of ethics because people turn to you, same with counseling, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, pe- people turn to you uh, for guidance. Some, uh, they come, they're, they're hurting, they're, they're, they're suffering in some way, uh, they're in grief. And they look at you as an expert, you know. So um, I am very careful with, I'm always asking spirit, meaning the God energy, to remove ego from my work. And also, um, I turn over before every session I do, I turn that over to spirit because the little me will, will never be able to do the work. It's coming from, it's coming from that, that, higher, um, that higher source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, absolutely. People need to know that personal responsibility is always operating. That's a natural law, meaning laws that govern the consequences of human behavior. And karma is always operating. So we're always personally responsible for the choices that we make. Mm-hmm. Can we dig in a little bit more to the concept of karma? Do we resolve karma? You know, or we balance I, it or, or I I believe that we never completely um, erase it. Uh, and I've read some spiritual texts from some very good sources that say that. What we can do though is balance it. So um, therefore, there really are no victims. Because there is something that, and I know that there's a lot of people who would disagree with that, um, but through my work, I've seen that um, there's always a higher purpose for what an individual is experiencing, even if we don't know what that is on a conscious level. There is always some reason there. So oftentimes, and in my own life, I've seen this, that things that were my greatest liability in life have can transition and transform into my greatest asset. And it's the same with anyone else, that things that sometimes we become a very powerful example or teacher of, you know, a, an issue that's tripped us up for, for many years. Mm-hmm. And once that we're able to use that and begin to turn it around, and that is unto itself a balancing of karma. Well, and I don't know, something just clicked in my mind when you said balancing of karma, because I think that being human 
and this is part of the reason I think I related to your books so much is that I think, and you talk about this, in New Age spirituality, we've gotten away from this notion of humanity, which is that in humanity, you have negative feelings. Sometimes you're judgmental. Sometimes you feel envious or jealous or competitive or sad or or any of that. And it seemed to me like when you were just talking, it, it got me thinking, okay, well, do we? how are we balancing those feelings with experiences that are joyful, happy, gratitude, um, love, you know, all of the consider the, the more positive feelings that I think new age spirituality has led us to believe is the only way we're supposed to feel. And so to me, there's a lot of freedom in that is like, you can feel the negative as much as the positive, as long as it's a, as you're balancing things out. Is that, is that accurate? And how... Yeah, um, the the thing that, you know, I used to really follow a lot of, um, and I won't name them, but some specific New Age teachings. <clears throat> Since the early days, I've gotten away from it because I found that there's a bit of a naivety um, in those teachings in that, um, you, you know, you can't ignore the negative. You, you can't pretend that evil or negative uh, or manipulation or any, any characteristic that we would think of as, as uh, negative. You can't really go through life ignoring that that exists. And I think that um, the same with emotions. Um, I personally have had people like, well, you know, say to me, well, why are you, you know, complaining about that? Or why are you negative about that? Well, because that's how I feel. I'm not going to stuff feelings. And I never advocate, even when I talk with people who have lost a loved one or something that's extremely troubling that, you know, I've done a lot of readings for people who have lost children who are never the same again, that never, ever the same again. Uh, it's changed their very world. So um, I advocate you got to feel the feelings. you got to feel anger. you got to feel uh, the sadness. You have to feel a, a sense maybe of injustice. Let all those come up. The point of it is, though, like with mindfulness, you become the observer eventually, eventually. You become the observer of emotion and feelings. You pull back because what creates uh, problems for us is identification with feelings or with mind. So I am that. Mm -hmm. I am this. And we're not that. We're, We're much larger than that. We have emotions but we're not those emotions. That's the value of mindfulness. And I, I write about a lot about mindfulness in the third section of the book because I had a terrible bout uh, not so long ago with uh, severe anxiety. And all my life I've um, you know, suffered from um, anxiety and panic attacks. So, um, you know, and I've had different things throughout the years uh, and counseling and so forth. Um, I will tell you, I engaged in an eight-week program uh, on mindfulness, and and that, in addition to counseling, really changed uh, a lot for Mm -hmm. me. So I'm very much a proponent of mindfulness to pull ourselves into the present moment, and that automatically alleviates a lot of anxiety because anxiety is always based in the future. Right. 
Right. Most and I were either in the past or in the future. Mm-hmm. There's two are here, right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that and, and right now, I think, you know, in so many ways, when we look at what's happening collectively, to me, this is an exercise in, in presence and mindfulness because we really, I mean, we never know what tomorrow is going to bring, but even now more than ever, it feels like we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. There's just something about this. Yeah. We're, we're talking in the time of COVID, if this lives for, you know, if this podcast lives on for years and years, that this is where we are in this human time and space. Um, so. Yes. And it's really, I say that right now in collective consciousness, we're going through a massive reset. And there's people whose lives have been turned upside down, who have lost businesses, who have lost loved ones to the um, illness, um, people who aren't going to go back to what they were doing. Um, And and I think that it's really made us pay attention. I think that, that what you said is absolutely true. It's pulled us into right here, right now. And, you know, as human beings, we're quite stubborn. And there's a lot of times we have to have these big shake-up, wake-up calls. And, um, you know, astrologically, uh, I'm not going to get into all of that, but I've studied astrology for many, many, many years. I continue to study astrology, and I know why with the planetary alignments that we're going through, and symbolically, um, what happened in January so um, the key to it is inner transformation. We're being called for this inner awakening like never before. And we're at this pivotal point. I mean, we really are. We're going to either sink or swim. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I truly believe it's that critical. And so it begins with like the song by Michael Jackson, the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror, whatever you want to say. And it has to begin within the microcosm of the individual. Mm-hmm. And, and we're, 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 because we're connected to everyone and everything. When you talk in your book about windows of opportunity, what do you mean by that and how to, and in our lives? And what does that look like and how does it show up for us? Well, windows of opportunity are um, instances where we can change where there's some transformative energy that is being presented. And it's the, it's the opportunity. It's the chance to make that choice. I oftentimes in readings um, say that there's been a falling out and it's very common in families uh, that there's people, they, you know, they weren't speaking, they had a falling out, then the person passes and the person who's who I'm reading you know, they torture themselves night and day because they're saying, gee, you know, we didn't make up before, you know, my mom died or my dad passed or my son passed or committed suicide, whatever it might be. And so, you know, spirit will sometimes come in and say, here's a window of opportunity to heal that. Or, it, you know, it could be that you're doing it on a soul to soul level. Uh, it could be between family members who are still here in the physical realm. And the the older family member in spirit will come through and say, there's going to be a window of opportunity presented so that you can reconcile, so that you can heal this. And I will tell you that those in spirit um, try to orchestrate um, healings for people through intuition, through inspiration, because 
that's how spirit communicates. Mm-hmm. You know, so and I'm the like problem you, is, yeah, we can't. There, there's no longer the physical connection, but there's inspiration. And I try to um, really educate people um, that you don't always have to. You don't have to have a medium to, uh, you know, talk to the other side. You have the bond of love, which is eternal. In fact, that's another lesson that the bond of love is eternal, and it doesn't it doesn't go away when someone dies. Mm-hmm. So you each person has the ability within themselves through the bond of love to get higher source information and also to communicate with loved ones who have crossed into spirit. Carol, wow. This was so such a juicy interview and I want anybody who wants a great book to read with really wonderful tips and explanations and definitions of of all of this to go buy your book where can people find you if they're interested in learning more about you yes well my website is soul visions and that's plural soul plus visions.net soulvisions.net and also my facebook i have a professional facebook page and that's facebook.com slash soul medium the word soul plus medium and, and if I'll, you an autograph copy you'll have to get that from me <laughs> um, but it is, all my books are on uh, Amazon and they're also um, ebooks of uh, you know Kindle uh, and Barnes and Noble as well and I'll link to all of this also in our in my show notes so thank you so much for your incredible time today for your insights for your explanations I'm very, very grateful. So thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.